God, we come before you. We're looking to you. You are where our help comes from. We are praying for vision to see things the way that you do. We need you, Jesus. You know, we mess things up. We get so distracted. We focus on ourselves, caught up in what we think and what we see in front of us. And so easy we get out of the focus, out of the groove, out of the path that you've laid for us. In the moment of now, take us to eternity. We know that's where our real home is. That's when all things will be made right. But you've asked, we've asked for your kingdom to come. Your will be done here. So, Father, we pray that your will will be done tonight. Your way is always the best. Always the best. You know what we need, so I pray your word go forth. That you change us deep within our spirit, within our heart, our soul itself. To give us your heart, your eyes, and your hands. Your feet, your desires, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to be talking about First Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight. Let's start with the first two verses. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So we talked last week about him sharing at Thessalonica. So this letter, a little background again. He's written this a few years later. We believe he's probably in Corinth. Many believe this may have been the first letter written. Some say Galatians, some say First Thessalonians. Um, certainly, if not the first, it's the second. And he was only there for three Sabbaths. Okay, so not there for very long, and the gospel spread. But before that, before he came to Thessalonica on his first trip there, he was in Philippi. So let's go back a little bit and look to chapter 16 of the book of Acts. And I'm going to read. We're going to go through a number of verses. I'm going to give you a little background. And this gives a little bit of an idea of what, what Paul went through the suffering he went through in his faith, starting in verse 6. Now, when they had gone through uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. But after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So Bithynia is like near Turkey area. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to him. So, to the background, so the Lord called them to preach. So he was called to go. Therefore, sailing from Troas, okay, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met us there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, 
saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation, and they, this she did for many days. But Paul greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Roman, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, and they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called, called up with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set the food before, him, before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And it, when it was day... When it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let these men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, these magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. Now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these things to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Now that was a lot. We went through virtually the whole chapter. And basically talked about the whole journey of what he did. But I want to give you this background, and the reason why is he's coming into Thessalonica from this. Okay? He's coming into that preaching. So he was, the Holy Spirit told him, hey, don't go into Asia. He listened. Immediately. He didn't wait. He listened immediately. Went across, okay, the Aegean Sea, you know, north to Macedonia. Okay? He goes to Philippi, sees this woman, Lydia, Okay, and I had a chance to go up to that area and see there's a church there. and um, It's a Greek Orthodox church, but you get to see, and they literally have the whole panel of that whole, um, the whole book of Acts on, on painting on the wall. It's, it's rather beautiful to see. But the point that I'm saying is he was censored of the Spirit, and he goes preaching into the, um, into the city, into the people, and this, these men who have this woman who's demon-possessed and using it for prophecy... He commands the demon to leave her. They lose their money, their source of income, 
and they basically drag him to the magistrate, to the authorities, to get him to pay. Manipulating whatever they want, to say whatever they want, because they're upset and resented. He gets thrown in prison. He gets beaten. Beaten with rods. Romans so the Jews do with whips. The Romans also beaten with rods. Okay? And that literally cracks bones, stripes on his back. Okay? And what does he do? Does he bemoan his lot? I'm saying, I'm here and I'm suffering for you, Jesus. Why is this happening to me? That's probably what I would do. Okay? It's probably what I would do. But that's not what Paul's doing. What Paul's saying is, we're just singing God. We're praising God. We're stuck in this prison. We're beaten. Our feet are in stocks. And we're praising God. And God meets them at their point of need. God meets them at their point of need. Shakes the foundations of the jail. They're loosened from it. They can go scot-free. But do they leave? They don't. Because Paul's sensitive to the Spirit. And there was somebody who's, who needed to be saved that day, and that was the jailer. Ready to throw himself on his own sword. Instead, he surrenders his life, shares the good news to his family. They all get saved, and they get baptized. He still gets back there, and he gets out. Now, the other part to realize is, you know, he was a Roman citizen. Okay, he got that. Some people had to pay for it. He had to get that. He got that through birth. We're not exactly sure how. That's not explained. But he had both Jewish citizenship, being a Jew, okay, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and Roman citizenship, which was not easy to obtain, to get, and was worth a lot. A Roman citizen had a lot of power and influence, okay? Not like even more power than an American citizen would have, comparatively. Much harder to obtain. Okay, a lot of people were slaves, a lot of people were foreigners, but to have Roman citizenship, you were esteemed above others. And so he said, you... You publicly beat us and shamed us, okay? And the Greek word is hubrizo, okay? Which is a, an insult and to publicly humiliate them. And he says, okay, you need to publicly set us free. He's talking about being bold. So that's the backdrop, okay? He goes to Thessalonica and he's still bearing the stripes, still bearing the bruises, still injured, Okay, but seeing the power of God. And what does God do? At the point of his surrender, at the point of his trust and faith in God, God comes through for him. Okay, and, and with his suffering, he's bold. God empowers him, so he shares the message for three weeks. Here's what we talked about. Three weeks he shares the message. Some Jews come to faith. Lots of Gentiles come to faith. And some prominent women. Okay, so it doesn't have to take a lot of work when the power of God's upon you. But it did take a man fully surrendered, willing to suffer for the gospel, willing to go wherever the Holy Spirit guided him to go, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. Okay, so in this part, when he's talking about in Philippians or in Thessalonians, okay, he's saying that our coming to you was not in vain the Greek word for vain is kinos look at 1 Corinthians 15 14 and if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty it uses the same word vain worth nothing worthless other translations use he's telling him it was not in that short time that we came, God met you with power. God did that through a vessel that was fashioned through suffering to trust in Him alone. Look at Philippians 2, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Same word. He was always eternally focused. Always eternally focused. And that's what God's asking us. It's hard. We get caught up in the day. We get caught up with the hungry bellies. We get caught up in the other things we have to do. Distracted by all the things around us. And Pastor talked about how much the worldly distractions, our phones, all these things become distractions become greater and greater and greater. 
it's harder and harder for us to be eternally focused. But all the more important. And so what we're talking about, what's happening in Israel right now, what we're seeing in the end times and we're not sure what's going on and we can see what's happening in the world, this has been foretold. Hearts are going to go colder. Wickedness is going to abound. Wickedness means anything that's against the Word of God, anything against God's design. That is the only standard of wickedness. Not what the world says, because the world's going to say what God wants is wicked. The world is already saying that, that the idea of gender and sex, the men and women and all the different genders, that's, you know, that, the idea that there's only two genders, that's a wicked statement. The idea they would have a woman suffering from rape, bearing a child, that's wicked. They're saying so many things are wicked because their focus is on the temporal, on the now, on the comfort, on themselves, not on what God sees. And it's going to be, we have to be on guard. We have to be passionately on guard from that seduction, from that world. That seduces us, particularly through our electronics, even more and more. It used to be, you know, when I was a kid, you know, it used to be that nothing was open on Sundays. Even in the province I grew up in, it was called Lord Days Act. Sunday things were closed, forcibly closed. I remember coming to the States on vacation, things were open. But they weren't open in Canada then. Now it's changed. Canada's allowed everything to be open. Okay? But it used to be they did that. It used to be that around 3 o'clock in the morning, you couldn't do anything, watch anything. You know, you had that Native American with a black and white with a headdress on, and that's all you could see on the television. There was nothing. Now, everything is at demand. It's on your electronic devices. It's, you can watch on your TV around the clock at any time, on-demand entertainment there. Anything to tantalize the flesh, the eyes, the mind, the lusts of the heart. Okay? Paul is continuing. So the challenge for us and what we're going to be dealing with is, are we going to hold fast to the gospel? We have to press in more. Okay? The, the, the current away from God is getting stronger and stronger. The current away from God is getting stronger and stronger. And we're like salmon swimming, swimming upstream with a stronger current. Cold water, mountain runoff. Warmer water's down below where we were. Easier just to float and go back into that, kind of like on a lazy river. Much harder to swim against the current. So Richardson said about ministry, true ministry withstands the blast of criticism and persecution. Out of the crucible of Philippi, Philippi came the pure gold of Thessalonica. The gospel team was clearly not in ministry for selfish purposes. The devil tried to cut Paul's ministry off, but Paul did not stop communicating the gospel. His trials only became a platform for further ministry. I implore you, and I'm telling you, we're going to have more trials. It's going to get harder. We're, ha- we're going to have more suffering. And you may have that in your relationships. Some of us are going through that. You may have in different circumstances with health. Some of us are going through that. You'll certainly have it with your own thought life. But it's going to get harder. As I shared last week, the Christian life from um, Hebert, he said it doesn't get easier, it gets harder. It's going to get harder. We need to press in more. We need to not forsake getting together because we can't do it alone. I can't really do this walk without you guys. Okay? When we're singing and worshiping together, when we're seeking God earnestly together, when I see men who are pressing into the Lord, that encourages and inspires me. When I'm by myself out there in that thing, it's harder. Doesn't mean we don't do it. Even Paul had company there. When he was in Acts, it talks about us. It's Luke who's writing the book of Acts. Okay, so Luke was there with him. Okay, Timothy's there. Silas is there. And you realize he has fellowship there. He asks for help. He wasn't alone through this part. So we need to seek out those who are believers. And we need to go hand in hand. Here, particularly within this body, 
but also for those who we know are true followers of Jesus Christ. To encourage them. So whenever you see somebody, we're called to press in, to press in even more. And the challenge for us is this. Everything that the Lord is doing and what he did with that suffering, what did he do in Paul? He built character. The hardest part for us is to have character when things don't go our way. It's easy to be nice and good when it's going your way. It's hard, really hard, for us to bless those who persecute us. I might be neutral if you persecute me, but to bless you, to bless you when you're making my life harder, when you're unjustly accusing me, when that's what's happening. So that's the challenge for us. Are we going to bless Hamas or Hezbollah when they're persecuting us? That's the heart that they want. That doesn't mean you let them run roughshod over you. Paul didn't. He just heard that in Philippi. He called them to task. He did what was right, but he still prayed for them. He still sought their relationship with Jesus, and he would be happy to share the testimony. Jim Elliott wrote in his spiritual in his journal, in spiritual work, if nowhere else, the character of the worker decides the quality of his work. Shelley and Byron, these are English poets, may be moral freelancers and still write good poetry. Wagner, who wrote um, music, operas, may be lecherous and still produce fine music, but it cannot be so in any work of God. Paul could refer to his own character and manner of his living as proof of what he was saying to the Thessalonians. Nine times over in this first epistle, he says, you know, in referring to the Thessalonians' firsthand observation of Paul's private as well as public life. Paul went to Thessalonica and lived a life that was more than illustrated, that more than illustrated what he preached. It went beyond illustration to convincing proof. No wonder so much work in the kingdom is shoddy. Look at the moral work, look at the moral character of the worker. Paul, so this is what Barclay said. So all through this, this, this second chapter, you get to hear again the accusations. We talked about that in the book of Corinthians. How people would come in and accuse him of unjust motivations. Why is that important? They're going to accuse us. If you do the right thing, you will be accused of wrong motivations. You will be accused of being unkind. You'll be accused of being self-righteous. You'll be accused of being mean. Okay? Uncaring, uncompassionate, not loving, hateful. Southern term here, he was hateful. You will be accused of being rude, wicked, Evil. Barclay says this about Paul. Paul, they accused him, had a police record. Yeah, he was in prison, not trustworthy. He was delusional, thing he wasn't thinking properly. His motives, he was unclean, was impure. He deceived others. He preaches to please others, not God. He's doing it for himself. He's a mercenary, out to get what he can. He wants his own personal glory. He's something of a dictator. And we're going to read the verses and realize that he's actually answering all those questions. But instead, you get that he really ministered despite all the hardship and persecution. His motives were pure. He wanted the true gospel of Christ preached. He ministered what? For God's glory, not man's. Selflessly, with humility, with care and sacrificial love, long and laboriously. Didn't give up. So look at the next three verses in 1 Thessalonians 3 to 5. Chapter 2, 3 to 5. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God 
is witness. There's, there at that time, as I've shared on the Ignatian way, it's a main thoroughfare, so a lot of people came through. Okay, even all the way down to Philippi. Major travel route. And different people would come, hucksters, different people trying to get their own fame and reputation. And because it was Roman, the more well you spoke, the better off you will. Better off you were. That's not different than today. We still measure by the popularity. How big is the crowd following you? How many people are there? Oh, look at the, you know, you see those at churches where they talk about attendance. Look, oh, they got a church. They're the third fastest growing church in America. Look at them. They've got 10,000 people there on the weekend. Therefore, God's blessing them. They're completely sold out to Jesus. They may be. They may be not. Okay? It's not based on any numbers. It's not based on the measuring of the world, measurements of the world. We have a very small church. You know, we've struggled at times thinking, what do we do? And we, we've had some episodes in, our, in some ways our church got even smaller. We had less people. Not exactly the good ministry technique you talk about. If you look and go through all the different um, programs that they have through the denomination, they're always talking about what you need to do to build, get, get more people in and how you need to make the messages make people feel for, more comfortable and you have to be seeker sensitive. We are definitely not seeker sensitive. <laughs> not at all. Okay? We won't be. That is not what God's called us to be. Okay? We're not called to be seeker sensitive because the words say no one seeks God, not one. So if we're seeker sensitive, we're after what? The devil. And the world's become like that. And the popular churches have to be like that because they want to get the crowds in. But it becomes a watered-down gospel when it's not a real message and they're not really converted because they don't understand what repentance really is. And they don't know what it means to live a sacrifice life. And they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So we don't want you to pray a prayer with somebody and they accept Jesus and think, okay, that's it, they're honky-dory and everything's fine. When we're talking with people, we're walking alongside them. That's what Paul did. We want the power of God to go forth in what we're sharing because of what God done in our life. Our testimony, what Paul's saying, is what God did in me. It will be often through your suffering that you'll have the greatest testimony. Not through your victory. The world says through your victory. Oh, we listen to him because he won this many trophies. Therefore, He's got a better voice because he's really, God's really blessed him. That is not what Paul went through. That's not what they went through in the New Testament. They didn't get the acclaim. It's not like, you know, the Roman emperor, okay, Augustus, Claudius, Nero, any of them, Tiberius, none of them took the Christians in front and going, hey, listen to them. It actually was the downfall of the church in many respects when Constantine made Christianity the church religion because it became part of the state and not part of the spirit. And we know the prince of this world controls things on that level. So why am I letting you know this? I'm letting you know that this is what Paul's motivation is. This is what he's, he's encouraging. He's letting them know that the focus needs to be on God at each and every moment. There's a, I'm going to share a, a, a story. Pioneer evangelist Peter Cartwright spent seven years in the work of the Lord and always preached the word of God without fear or favor. On one Sunday, he was asked to speak at a Methodist church in the southern part of the U.S. During the song just before the message, the pastor whispered to him, that Andrew Jackson, you know who Andrew Jackson is, right? Okay. Had just entered the sanctuary. 
he cautioned Cartwright to be very careful of what he said, lest he offend their famous guest. The evangelist, however, knowing that the fear of man bringeth a snare, referring to Proverbs 29.25, was determined not to compromise the truth. He also knew that great leaders need the Lord as much as anyone. So he boldly proclaimed the gospel. In fact, halfway through his sermon, he said, I understand that Andrew Jackson is present in the congregation today. If he does not repent of his sins and accept Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, he will be just as lost as anyone else who has never asked God for his forgiveness. Instead of becoming angry, Jackson admired the preacher for his courage. He listened with keen interest to the message and felt such a deep conviction that after the service, Cartwright was able to lead him to the Lord. From that moment on, the two became the best of friends. From 2 Timothy 1.7, the fear of man should never keep us from speaking out for Christ. The gospel is a powerful message and the indwelling Holy Spirit will impart power to our words. If the President of the United States came in here, would we, would we vary in our message? If the Governor of the state came in here, would we vary in our message? That's the challenge. Is, are we going to be, is our focus on God, or are we worried about what men think? You may have a famous musician that you love, that you, you know, or you know, hockey player, or whatever. Would we do the message any different? They all need Jesus. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We have to see their needs. So we can't be looking at the standard of the world. So when we see people, we have to see them the way that God does. No matter whether they're somebody who's in the gutter, who's, and I see them, you know, they come in and they're, you know, got, you know, you know, their veins are all shot because they've been shooting themselves up. And their teeth are gone and rotten and they don't smell very nice. But God sees them no differently than the person who looks sharply dressed to the nines coming in with gold jewelry and everything to the max does not see them any differently that's the challenge for us and that's what Paul is admonishing them letting him know that he doesn't care about where things are he doesn't care about superficial things his focus was only the gospel so it says here in 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 6 to 9 nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. Poole says, We did not seek men's honor, high esteem, or applause. We sought them not in the inward bent of our thoughts or the studies of our mind, not in outward course of our ministry and conversation, to form them so as to gain glory from men. Though honor and esteem was their due from men, yet they did not seek it. Honor is to follow men, men not to follow honor. Why am I saying that? I'm saying the heart that he had, the passion he had, was always about the gospel at every time. He should have been given to. They should have paid his way. He didn't ask them that. He still worked. He did whatever it took. He didn't try to make himself a burden on them. So remember when we went through Corinthians and we talked about he got supported by the Macedonian church? This is part of the Macedonian church that supported him later. They didn't have very much. Thessalonians and the Thessalonians and the Philippians, they supported him. They're the Macedonian church that supported him down there when the Corinthians, who were wealthy, didn't. Because they saw a testimony. So what he did now is he's writing to them, letting them know. And he's telling them, hey, you, I lived my life. I poured my heart to you. You got to know who I was. And he says, affectionately. Affectionately longing for you. And the Greek here is only used in this case, and it's special. It means I, I loved you as family. Like you're one of my own. That's how we saw them. 
I'll be honest, that's hard sometimes. I can see that. For you guys, I can actually. But somebody I really don't know, to, to, long, to love them the way that Christ loves us affectionately, lovingly, tenderly, as a mother nurses a child. And I've seen, you could see Sam uh, nursing Lucas, and I saw um, Sarah with Haven, and just saw today Elisha with Jacob, uh, the Wheatons. And you could see the affection that a mother has with a baby and how much they love that baby and how much they'll give. That's the affection that Paul had for them. That's the affection that we are to have. A tender love, gentle, but strong too. I mean, he wasn't, he was bold, but he still cared deeply. Cared deeply. So in verses 10 to 12, you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom his own kingdom and glory. The word witnesses is where we get the word martyr for. He's basically, you got to see me. You know me. And so the challenge we have how is that applicable? You're going to see, when we get bolder in the faith, you're going to hear rumors about things. Let's say Brian goes out on a mission field and you'll hear some things and some people get some reputation of Brian. They'll say, he did this, he was mean, he did that. But we know Brian. We've lived with Brian. we spend time with him. We have to trust the Spirit and the guide and that's what Paul's saying. We're going to be called to task as we go forward. Some of us may have to lay, lay down our lives. We'll have to go forth to share the message. We may not always be in this community of fellowship together. We may for a while, some people may have to go for a while, for, for years for that matter. We don't know what God's going to call us to. Do we really know them? You may always doubt because the world says, I don't really know them. Then it behooves us to get to know them. If you don't, not sure, then you got to get to know them. That's what Paul did. I got to know you. You got to know me. You got to see everything about me. All my blemishes, all my flaws. Probably a little overheated. He tends to get a little angry at times, so maybe they got to see some of that. But they also got to see his passion. His intensity, his care. You get to know him. That's what we're going to get to know with one another. And we're called to get to know with that level of depth, of understanding, that level to really know down the core. And that means being really honest and transparent. That means living our lives not hidden, which is so easy to do, not superficially. Hi, how are you doing? Good, fine. How are things? Okay. Have a nice day. That's grease the passing comments. So instead of saying, hey, how are you? Hey, not so good. Then you're like, okay, now what do I do? You can, oh, the Christians, they, oh, I'll pray for you. And then not pray at that moment. Or you could say, Oh, I know I wanted to go to Walmart and get something, but let's stop. What's going on? How can I help? Yeah, let's pray right now, but what else is there that you need some assistance in? Do you want to spend some time? Do we talk? Are we willing to disrupt our schedule and our day for one another or for what God wants? That's what Paul did. His plans, we say, our hopes, plans, and ambitions. Are we willing to discuss, are we willing to disrupt our schedule, our plans to do something? I'll be honest. If I have to go to work, it's hard for me to say, yeah, you know, I won't go to work. Troy needs me. I'm thinking, okay, I don't know who they're going to get, how are they going to cover, what's going to happen, all those things. But are we willing to disrupt? We have obligations and how do we honor those things? But there needs to be that question, 
how do I meet the need even though I need to help Troy and I have obligations? Okay, what can I do? How can I pray for you? Hey, when I have a break, I'm going to reach out to you. Or, hey, right after, can I get together? It's whatever we need to do to make a combination. That's what God's going to call us to. It's going to be inconvenient. It was inconvenient to Paul. Being a Christian means suffering inconvenience. The Holy Spirit is going to inconvenient our lives. He's going to mess up your schedule, mess up your plans. Are we willing to surrender to do that? Are we willing to trust God to know that He's going to work to good and He's going to make it harder? He's going to mess up your plans and it's not going to go the way. You're like, wait, 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 I did that and gave up that and then I went there? No. Yes. Yeah. My car broke down so I could help somebody and I'm out $3,000 for my car so I could help somebody? Yeah. Yeah. And so he said, again, just like we said before in, in Corinthians, and early, last week, follow me as I follow Jesus. Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have seen, as you have us for a pattern. And as we shared already in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So we get the mimetes, the Greek word mimic. So the standard is in the Old Testament, it says, be ye holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. But the New Testament now says, be ye imitators of God and walk in love. The standard of holiness is not lessened in the New Testament. The standard of holiness is not lessened in the New Testament. You don't, we don't get a pass. God doesn't say, okay, it's okay, you can be whatever you want. God wants us to be holy as He is holy, but motivated by love, love for Him and love for others. So it's hard, because sometimes we're not as holy as we'd like to be. So that's why you have to repent. There's a way. We repent. God, look, I, look at me today. I started good, and then I got derailed. I got caught up in my own plans and ambitions. What I wanted. I said, you forgot about me. Well, yeah, I did. Okay. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I didn't think about you. I was selfish. Selfish, truly. Repent and help me in this moment now to set things back right, to get that train back on the rails and go in the direction instead of my own path. If I have to turn around, then turn around, whatever I need to do. Okay. He says, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father. So he said first in the verses before, he's a mother. He used the analogy of a mother nursing and your moms tend to be loving and compassionate and kind. And then now as a father, what do fathers are? They tend to be stern. Okay? Kid falls down. Oh, my baby. That's what moms say. We bandage it, make it better. Dad say, you're Okay. Come on up, let's dust it off, get advantage, let's go forward. You'll be okay. Move on. Both are expressions of love. Okay? One's a love that basically says, I'm here for you. You're not alone in this. The other one's a love that's saying, you're tougher than you think. You're going to be stronger with this. This is not going to let you down. Okay? You can move forward from this. You're going to get both of that here from the pulpit. You get that from, our, from Brother Glenn, who, who shares, and you get that from Pastor, Pastor Jeff. Both will share convicting messages. It's like a dad. Mostly, they're like dads to us saying, come on. That's what I feel. And I'm like, yeah, right. 
That's the opportunity for us to push forward and to press into what God wants because they're trying to say, look, you can do it. You can ride that bicycle. But I fell down. Yeah, I know. Get back on. Let's do it again. Get back on. Let's do it again. Get back on. Let's do it again. Don't give up. Don't beat yourself up. Don't This idea of, hey, I did this. I, I, my bad day was bad. Therefore, I'm useless for God. And it gets this navel-gazing kind of thing that people tend to do. That is not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying, okay, you fell. Dust yourself off. Repent. Get back on. Go forward. Every time. Ask. You may need help to ride the bicycle, especially if you're on a motorcycle. I couldn't lift one of those suckers up. I may need a few people helping me with that. I need help getting to tall things. I can't reach tall things. I need help with something. I'm short. People are taller than I, so we need help. I need help doing physical things. I'm not as strong as even as I was five years ago. So we're not alone in this. Let's move to 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. There's a whole lot in that one. That one verse. If you're going to remember a good verse to remember in this whole chapter, that's a good one to remember. He says, you received, the Greek word is paralambano, the word of God. So that means there's a reception, it's a hearing that you get. Okay? But the second part of that is you welcomed. It's also another kind of reception. But the Greek word is dekomai, which means it went into your heart. Received, you hear it. Welcomed means you took it in into your heart. You allowed it to change you. You allowed it to make a difference in you. That's why hearing and believing comes from hearing the Word of God, listening to the Word of God over and over. Because you may hear it, like receiving, but it didn't change you. That's the welcoming. And part of that's you, where your heart is at that time. Part of that's the way the Spirit's working in you. Part of that continual repetition of the Word of God. The more you spend time in the Word of God, the more you spend time with Jesus and you ask Him to receive it because the natural man cannot understand the things of God. Only in the Spirit. It's one of the things I love. We worship together. And I'm here beforehand and I'm thinking, you know, I have the idea of what I want to talk about in terms of intellectual stuff. Then pastor comes up to me and goes, not this, this. Go in your heart. And I'm like, now he tells me, like two minutes before the service begins, okay? But why is he telling me that? He's telling me that because that's exactly right. It needs to be something of the spirit of the heart down to your soul instead of something just a head knowledge. What you're thinking is, what does that mean when your heart is changed by the gospel? When you've received dekomai, when you've welcomed it in a way deep within you. That is what, a lot of people have head understanding. Most people have a head understanding of things. Most people are head Christians, but not heart Christians. What I love here is we're focused on heart. And when we worship, it's about the heart. Because I can definitely be caught up in my own thinking in my brain. Some of you may not have that. Some of you do. We need continually to be focused on where things are with our heart. So, and it says, when you welcomed it, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you. So when you've received it in your heart, it affects a change. It becomes powerful. The spirit becomes alive in you. It changes you. The Greek word here is energeo, where we get energy from. If the word of God is in you, it's going to have power. Power to be bold, power to trust in God, power to profess the good news to others, to share of what God's done in your life and the goodness of God. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. And as we have said before, so now I say again, 
If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, let him be accursed. For I do, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For I still for if I if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached for me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That received word there is dikomate. That is that welcomed, that's a transformational. See, we, we use the English language, and sometimes there's limitations here. But the point they're saying, it's not just received like a head knowledge. It was a transformational change. Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's by the power of God. That's the kind of power we're talking about. That's what we need to take a hold of. And we've not even tapped, barely tapped into that. That's why we're not doing what Paul's doing. That's why we're not seeing the miracles of what they're doing. When you go to other countries in the world, things are happening because they're sold out and they believe it completely and wholly. They've abandoned everything else for that. They don't have one foot in the world and the other foot with Jesus and then going further and further apart until they look like they're doing the splits. They're fully in with Jesus. If we want to see the Holy Spirit come down here, we have to be fully in with God. We can't expect God to come here if we're not fully sold out to Him. So the issue is not being perfect. The issue is being fully sold out to Him. Loving Him. I can't say that we can love Him with the same way that He loves us, but we can certainly try. And ask Him for help. But that means being mindful and thinking of Him. That means making choices. Just what we sing, not being something we just sing on Sundays and Wednesdays. And the fourth Friday of every month but something that's within our heart throughout the days to seek the goodness of God and see how he's moving and ask him, give us your vision. Give us your sight. Give us your hands. May I be bold to share the goodness of what you did with me. Tozer. Listen to Tozer. It is not enough that we believe. We must believe in the right thing about the right one. Unbelief says some other time, but not now. Some other place, but not here. Some other people, but not us. Faith says anything he did anywhere else, he will do here. Anything he did any other time, he is willing to do now. Anything he ever did for other people, he is willing to do for us. With our feet on the ground and our head cool, but with our heart ablaze with the love of God, we walk out in this fullness of the Spirit if we will yield and obey. God wants to work through you. The counselor has come, and he doesn't care about the limits of locality, geography, time, or nationality. The body of Christ is bigger than all of these. The question is, will you open your heart? Will you open your heart? I read that and I was like, wow. It's our heart. Everything comes back to that, that heart. So what pastor said at the beginning, he wanted to be the heart, that's the ultimate thing. It's not my head getting it. It's my heart. All comes down. Everything about our sin, anything that we're in bondage to, it all has to do with the idols we have, what's in our heart, the idols of the heart. Our unbelief has to do with our heart. We don't believe because we choose not to, because we're not, because when you believe, you have to be willing. When you believe, you have to be willing. You have to be surrendered. You have to believe fully. You can't do halfway. Moving to 14 to 16. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God or are contra and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that 
they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath has come up upon them to the uttermost. So I've already shared a little bit about this last week, talking about how the Jews in that area resented what Paul was doing. Only a few came to faith in Thessalonica, and they not only went after, tried to catch him, okay? They went after him, okay? And they, went, they took Jason and beat him. And so Jason comes back with the other brothers there from Thessalonica saying, hey, you've got to leave. And Paul does not want to leave. He'll in three weeks. He doesn't want to leave. But they said, you've got to leave. And he listens, and he goes. Okay? And they go after him. He goes to Berea 50 miles away, and they chase after him. That's how obsessed they are. We have to be prepared that people may be that obsessed. Okay? So this is, tells you some of the grief and the struggle that Paul goes through. Okay? They didn't want him to share to the, the, to the, uh, to the Gentiles. I love what Clark says here. Their crimes referring to the Jews were great, so these, their punishment is proportioned. For what end God has preserved them distinct from all the people of the earth among whom they sojourn, we cannot pretend to say, but it must unquestionably be for an object of the very highest importance. In the meantime, let the Christian world treat them with humanity and mercy. So even though, you know, when you look at this, you go, come on. You know, Jesus was your Messiah. He came to fulfill your prophecy. You, you still believe the Messiah hasn't come. They're still waiting for the first coming of the Lord. He came. They haven't accepted except for the Messianic Jews. But God still has the chosen people. That's why we pray for Israel. Some people believe that the church has become Israel. We don't believe that. Okay? We don't believe in that. Okay, that dispensation, we don't believe in that. We believe in something different. We believe that God still has a special place for Israel. That those are His chosen people have always been. That's what He said. The New Testament did not replace the Old Testament. It's, it fulfilled it. It fulfilled it. Okay? And so He has a special place for the people. And so when we see what happened, with what happened in the struggle, we may feel resentment towards the Jews. And you have to realize they've been blinded, just like we were blinded. And so he's asking us, have mercy. And the final three verses, the four verses. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For you are our glory and joy. So, Paul understood that all of this is a spiritual battle. And Satan has been working in the world and he's worked definitely among the Jews to separate them from God. Started from the beginning of Adam and Eve and he's continually worked and he's had a lot of time to be very good at what he does. He is the prince of this world. One third of the angels have become his demons. He has many, he has a lot of power. So we don't battle against him. We don't fight him. And Ephesians talks about that. We are to stand, okay? And the only thing we speak is the, the word, the sword of the spirit. Okay, God takes care of the rest. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's why they say in the book of Acts, it was like, I know him, I know Paul, I don't know you. It's in the power of Jesus, not in the power of our own power. It only is in the power of Jesus. Jesus defeats him. And so Paul recognized that this is a spiritual battle. And so he knew that Satan was attacking. He knew that Satan was causing the discord. He knew that Satan created opposition, opposition within the authorities, like when he was in Philippi, opposition within the, so the people in Philippi, opposition within the Jews. So it happened in all different domains because that's what Satan does. But what did Paul say? He hindered us, right? Paul's heart was, I only had three weeks with you. I wanted more. I wanted more. 
So he writes this letter. I want to be back with you. I'm trying to get back to you. But he continually hinders us. But let's look at Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 5. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over to that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so Peter of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. There are men going ahead waiting for us at Troas. If your heart is in spirit with, us, with God, he will provide a way. It may not happen in your timeline. It may not happen the way you think it should. That's the hard part. You know, he sees the church come alive, he sees people come there, and then he has to leave after three weeks. He's still talking about Satan, so somehow they got educated about that and going, he was there for three weeks. I don't know what he spent, 10 hours a day preaching the gospel to them and educating them everything because unless, who else taught them? We don't know. We do know that some of the people are trying to create dissension and basically saying that Paul didn't believe any, he wasn't trustworthy, but somehow they knew enough about Satan, somehow they were educated enough to understand what he was talking about. The Holy Spirit met them at their point of need. Whether through Paul, through the short time he was there, or through somebody else, we don't know. But we do know that God is sufficient. And even though things don't happen the way that you initially want, God is still faithful. And even though Satan hinders God's plan, he does not prevent them from coming into fruition. Sometimes in the thing, God uses that so that he can go somewhere else. And he has a plan in the midst of it. We're called to act in faith and in hope. I'm going to finish with this last part about hope. So what is our hope or joint or crown of rejoicing? The word crown is not diadem, it's Stephanus, which means a victor's crown, like what you get an award. We'll get a gold medal or a trophy. But the word hope, hope is for the soul what breathing is for the living organism, says Gabriel Marcel. And this hope that Paul's talking about, this hope in the New Testament I want to finish with, this is very different than what the Greeks and the Romans believed. They did not see hope the way that we do now. They saw hope. You could have hope. Hope means what the future might bring, which could be a good hope or a bad hope. Like hope for something bad. It could happen. It's almost like what we call worry. They didn't see that hope was a promise. Webster says, hope to cherish a desire with anticipation, desire with expectation of obtainment, expect with confidence. That's what's used in the Webster's. H.L. Mencken, if you know who he is, he was an atheist. He says that's a pathological belief in the occurrence of the impossible. That is not what we believe. Because of what Jesus said, we have a hope in eternity. We have a hope in Christ. We have a hope in the Word. Our hope is not in the world, but in the Word. And that's what God's calling us. That's the hope. When we talk about eternal focus, we have that hope. That has to be our banner. And so that's what Paul was talking about with Thessalonians, is that hope that we have in eternity. Even in the midst of our trials and suffering. Even when things aren't going the way that we want to, do we hope in Jesus? Do we hope in the eternity that he promised, that his word proclaims? Do we trust him? Do we believe and that's what that hope is. That's what we sing for. So we worship. Biblical hope is not finger crossing, but is alive and certain because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Life without Christ is hopeless. Oh, I like it. Life without Christ is a hopeless end, whereas life in Christ is an endless hope. Hopeless end versus endless hope. That's part of the reason why he could be bold, because he knew that. That's what's available for us. So, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just come before you and... Um, you're our hope. 
We get so messed up. We get so distracted. And Father, we need more of you. More of you guiding us. Father, we need to surrender more to you, trusting you more, relying upon you. We may have to surrender some things that we put hope in, things of the world and our securities, Lord. Whatever your plans, whatever your will is, Father, have your way. Show us the path that we need to do that we can rely upon you more and trust upon you. Not being reckless or foolish, but wise, prudent, but surrendered. May you have supremacy in all that we say and do. You're worthy of the praise and honor, Jesus. Thank you for all you have, are, and will do. In your name, amen.